This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Janice Dean Podcast. I'm so grateful you're joining me today for an interview that touches my heart personally. Many of you know I was diagnosed with MS back in 2005, and it was a really difficult time personally as someone that has never really been sick my whole life to suddenly being told I have a chronic illness that not only has no cure, but is also very unpredictable in its symptoms and how bad it can affect us in the future. I've met many other people that live with MS over the years, and I've always tried to be very open and honest about the illness. At the beginning, I had people tell me to hide my disease and not tell anyone that I had multiple sclerosis because it might hurt my career or affect how others see me. Thank God I never took that advice because I want to show that having an illness does not define us. We can contribute and be a positive person in our community despite setbacks. And that's how my guest today lives his life. John Swartaki lives with MS and is an advocate within the U.S. community. He's the founder for Survivors for Solutions, a nonprofit, nonpartisan patient advocacy group that seeks to preserve and protect medical innovations that give people hope. He also has served as a communications director for the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, and has worked both in the House and the Senate leadership among other government agencies in the private sector. Our mutual friend, Dana Perino, was the one who introduced me to John and thought we would be fast friends who share similar journeys. She was right. Before we play our interview, I wanted to let you know that John has some speaking challenges because of multiple sclerosis. Along with many issues that those of us living with MS have, as many as 40% of people who are diagnosed with MS will face speech difficulties at some time during their illness. When we talk, our voice comes out of our mouth, but it starts in the brain, the lungs, and the vocal cords, as well as the tongue, the lips, the throat, and the jaw. They all play a role. And when there's damage to the nerves that stimulates the muscles for us to be able to speak, they can get complicated when you have multiple sclerosis. So John does speak a little differently, but I was able to understand him very well. And once you get used to hearing him speak... I know you'll understand him as well. So I encourage you to listen to our interview because I know in the end it will bring you hope for him, me, and all of us. So tell me, when were you diagnosed with multiple sclerosis? I was diagnosed uh, when I was 23 and in the year 1993, which is like a million years ago. Um, It was a great time to it because I got to see what the dark side of the science was right there was no there were no dmts which are the treatments that help slow progression uh, and so the the protocol then was uh just wait and see you'll see well maybe it won't happen again so that you know i was diagnosed in 93 which is interesting i just woke up one day and all of a sudden i couldn't see out of my, of my left eye and so 
uh, as the day went on, as the vision got zero down to zero, I just called my insurance card phone number because <laughs> I'm 23, right? I'm a male. I think I'm impervious to the world. And so I just said, call my doctor. I said, look, I don't know what's going on. Can you check this out? So they came and saw me, Janice. And I think a lot of, like a lot of people with MS, they, I had what was a classic first symptom, which is osteoarthritis. But they said, all right, from what we can tell, you either have one or two things. You've got MS, we have a brain tumor, right? Mm. That's putting pressure on your nerve. So I'm like, okay, well, that's not good. So they ran MRIs, they did lumbar puncture, lumbar puncture, as you know, is not a fun thing. And so after those kind of tests, they said, okay, well, uh, it's not a brain tumor. Well, you know, woo uh, it's MS. Like, what's that? So as you know, as you find with a lot of people, certainly with yourself, people with MS have a pretty positive attitude about these things. And so I started out with a, look, it, it could have been, my life could have been over, right? Instead, I just had this major hiccup part of my life. And and so the rest was uh, uh, the, the 50 years that went on was just pretty, pretty uh, uh, interesting uh, time with the disease, uh, which uh, the next, going to that, the first phase of it, um, the MS slowly started waking, right? And started to really do some things. And I think things like just the, the, the MS hug, things like pins and needles. And so what was happening was the doctor's wishes were not true, right? Did nothing, didn't go away. Mm. So luckily by 93, late 93, the first DMT was approved. The first medicine ever to help slow MS. And so by 95 or so, my doctor's like, look, your ass is looking really aggressive, uh, not pretty, and it's doing some crazy things that we even don't see in normal MS patients. And um, so why don't we put you on this drug? Let's just try it. It's, the clinical results you know, are showing pretty good results. Uh, track- and track- this was the first drug. What was that drug? Called beta-seron. Yep. Uh, injectable every other day. Um, so that was, um, then they trained me on that. I was, you know, I felt it was great, right? Was, I felt like I was empowered. I'm jabbing myself with a needle, you know, getting over the fear of that. And it felt like I was doing something about this disease that was largely uncontrollable and not, uh, not couldn't really put, no one could put their finger on it. So, uh, it was great, but lo and behold, Janice, uh, disease did not like that. And in fact, it just kind of brushed it off and, and stepped up its tax. Yeah. So uh, went through a year of none, you know, it basically was non-affected. And doctors were like, unfortunately, the doctor was like, well, it could have been worse, right? Uh, and I said, well, how worse could it be? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, you, friend, uh, you talk about being optimistic right from the get-go. Uh, is that, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you... I am, that is a miracle to me that you were optimistic from the get-go because I remember when I was newly diagnosed and it's funny because you take me back to when I uh, was in the doctor's office, it was 2005 and I woke up one morning and I couldn't feel the bottoms of my feet. I had numbness and tingling in my legs. I went to the the doctor, I got MRIs done and he, you know, did the lumbar puncture, which of course is awful. And I had the proteins and it, you know, he put it together 
in the office, but it was kind of like he gave me some steroids and said, well, we have to wait for another flare up to diagnose you. And I thought, what? You know, and at the time, this is 2005. So this is 10 years after you. They still didn't have a lot of, um, you know, therapies. So but I went into a very dark place. I was not somebody who was optimistic. So where does that come from, that optimism? I, I describe, this sounds weird, but, you know, they say you don't get MS unless you get MS. Mm. So it's a, it's a very uh, strange journey. I I view this basically as a giant blessing. So, and again, because of my, every disease, every MS course is different for everyone. So I can speak only for myself, but the optimism comes from, look, there were these, I had these choices, these, these eventually had different levers to pull. I had Look, I don't know what God was doing in my life, but I certainly wasn't going to give up and, and was, like I said, I was you know, a stupid young guy who just didn't think uh, I could, look, I had, I was having a, the career of my life. I, from a young kid, I wanted to be in, in uh, involved in the press and politics, and I got to be in D.C., and like, wow, this was, I still, I had, felt like things were a giant blessing. And plus, Janet. Those early symptoms, uh, those episodes, things got better, right? They would, you know, my fans would feel bad and they, they I'd feel better. So I felt like I was, I was getting a glimpse of you know, losing abilities, but I'd get in the back. Hmm. So it was reminding me of like how much we are given in this life, how many amazing things I have and I took for granted and that other people don't have. Oh. And so I have these little joyous moments every day when. I mean, as things gone on, I had a much bigger uh, a, a Chinese food venue of things happen. So, you know, when I sip a glass of water and I can swallow it without a problem, um, that gives me a personal private joy, right? About it lifts me up. And whereas not everyone it would, but you know, I can have my little uh, attaboy moment in my own head. So that's just like where it comes from. How much? better I have it than some people. Did, who was your support system? Who was with you when you got diagnosed? And who was, you know, your rock that you had that you could lean on? Oh, there's so many people, you know, over the time, over time. Look, I'm not a big, I don't like to wear this on my sleeve, but certainly my faith is number one, yes. Jesus Christ. And that is important part of my life. But, you know, he is, he is there for everyone. So <laughs> he's not exclusively for me, which is great. Uh, but for me, this time, I had amazing nurses. I great. My mom and dad were, were there. They would fly down uh, to help me out. In fact, they came very important later on in the late 90s when I really had a really nasty run in. So, and also good friends. Uh, I can't tell you how many times people, what was interesting, Janice, I know that you certainly have experienced this in ways that you've been reading a book which I'm happy that you're coming out. Hopefully you're, I don't want to step on the lead here, but you know, I see that you have book stories. I think there are people who come out to you, they hear you have MS and they say, they would say, they confess things to you, to you about their own personal cross, right? mm-hmm. things that they bear, things that happen to their, that are just may not be on the surface, you know, abuse they had as a kid, uh, troubles in their parents, uh, things that they have that are mental issues. And like, they feel that they can, open up to me, to a person who has a disease that's more outward, and they look for the community of the tribe of, of people who are going through stuff, yes. which ironically is everyone. Yes. 
we all have something, right? And yeah. and sometimes you can't see it. And MS is one of those diseases too. I uh, someone years ago called it the my you look so well disease because you can oh, look yeah. you can look fine, you can look like you're having a great day, but you know what's going on inside of you is your own personal storm system. Exactly. And you know how those can get so rough and they're really hard. And in fairness to everyone else who wants to be empathetic, who wants to be sympathetic, offer you help, they can't, they, as much as they try, it's really hard to put their, your finger on. They can't really understand what it feels like. Yes. Uh, and what you're feeling, how the feeling in your feet. Yeah, like, that's how odd and disconcerting that was. You know, uh, these things uh, go on and they just, it's the whole proprio perception aspect of your nervous system is amazing, right? And there are things that go on to it that even science doesn't understand. It's really hard to articulate. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. So when, now part of, of your voice, is that because of the MS? Is that the progression of the disease? Yeah, which is fun. Yes, it is. And so I had developed an for several times where the MS sort of breakthrough to kick me in the butt, something happened to my legs called ataxia, right? And that means that basically muscles don't really coordinate really well. I'm really, I'm really have a lot of strength. I don't lose strength and I don't, I don't have spasticity, which a lot of people do have, yes. but I have, I have ataxia, which is muscle coordination. And the same thing happened to the muscles of my, in my throat about, Two and a half, three, three years ago, uh, when the drug I was taking got broken through, and so the same <laughs> again. It's odd, like right? when I have a taxi, it makes you look like you're walking, you're drunk, and oh. so when I have my voice, it makes you sound breathless and mm. and you can't really control the passageway. Yeah, I need to be better. I'm from New York, and. So I tend to talk fast, and that's not, not very good. For, well, I think you're doing your... really well. I mean, I, yeah. I'm really proud of you. Um, Thank you. And, um, you know, I was introduced to you by Dana Perino, my good friend, um, uh-huh. who who knew about the book coming out called I Am the Storm, and uh, it's coming out in the next couple of weeks. And it's about everyday heroes uh, that try to change the world somehow, you know. And yeah. she said that you are truly one of those. Those kinds of heroes that even though you deal with challenges and obstacles and have been for many years, you are always an optimistic person. Uh, and you wrote an article that really caught my eye and and something that I think is important, not just for those who have chronic illness, but um, to make it aware because we, like you said in the beginning, we all struggle with something and it's called America's Sickest Deserve Hope, Not a Life in Their Parents' Basement. And tell me why you decided to write this article? Well, I was just really putting pen to paper about the whole uh, sad, stupid story, in which involves uh, me having to go through these various uh, challenges with disease and not having very many arrows in the quiver. Mm. Right. So at first, I had that first disease by, by finding treatment, which was great, but it did work for me. Right. But luckily, by the time uh, everyone realized that it wasn't working well enough. Uh, there was a second uh, these, these, the DMT out there called Copaxil. Yes. And when I, once I got on that, uh, that changed everything for me. But in the, the pinnacle of that was the disease had gotten so out of control. I was 
uh, in the hospital. I was uh, unable to swallow. Could barely, you know, I was just, it was, they couldn't even get a feeding tube down my throat because I couldn't, uh, the gag was, was so screwed up and it was just not pretty. And so as I'm going through the struggle, the hospital then sent me off to a rehab facility to, to save the, the bed. And um, they said, they told me at the time, uh, I'm trying to be a stoic 28-year-old uh, who can take care of himself. And they're like, we'll put you in a wing of the hospital with young people. And little did I know, when they wheeled me in there, uh, young people were like survivors of, they're all on ventilators, survivors of horrific uh, drug driving accidents, right? So they're not like, they're talking, but I mean, they're not talking, they're just on, their ventilators are going off. So I really depressing and sad. And I was like, look, I call my parents, I try to call my parents, I'm like, look, get me out of here, check me out. And so they came and got me, they moved me into my parents, their basement. Uh, and just at the time, uh, my, uh, I just seen a doctor who said, look, this new drug was on the market. I'll write you a script and try, just take yourself on the, off the other one and try this one. So on May 1st, 98, I did. And I, I began that treatment. Uh, and it takes about three months to take effect. And so the MS, aggressive MS stuff was going on. And so I still was in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk. I couldn't really do much, use my hands very well. And so... Um, uh, I saw these doctors when I was at my parents' house in Suffolk County, and uh, they were like, look, you're in a wheelchair, get used to it. And so I never had more motivated, more more uh, ironic motivation in my life. That just made me work out harder and try to go. And so uh, I said, look, I'm going to walk back in this office. And, you know, they had me come back in five weeks. And so I just tried. I made that my full-time job. And luckily... For me, my body said, uh, a comp- you know, allowed my hubris to be, uh, to be, to meet it, it with results. And so I was able to, on a quad cane, walk back in the office six weeks later. So, but because of the, the drug that I was, the second drug, finally gave my body, AVMS, gave my body a chance, a chance for it to recover, right? Calm things down and said, put, put the MS aggression on Tice. And so, the DMT let me, my body recover from that. So, uh, and again, luckily for me, you know, uh, a few months later, I was able to rejoin, rejoin my, my job on Capitol Hill and get back in the workforce. Uh, and um, and then ultimately, now met my, my wife, current wife, about a year and a half later. And then about two years after that, we started having our family. Oh, I, so, I, I read that part of the article and it brought tears to my eyes because it said, um, within 10 years, I rejoined the career I loved. I met my wife. I had four healthy sons. That therapeutic helped me realize that MS wouldn't define my life. It would only be a part of it. And I feel the same way. I felt like um, a kindred spirit because um, all those things happened for me after I was diagnosed. And I sometimes think I was blessed to be 
diagnosed with multiple sclerosis because I felt like my path at the time was very fast paced. It was career oriented. It was, you know, very superficial in a lot of ways. And when MS stopped me in my tracks and made me realize what the most important things were in my life, that's when things started to bloom. That's when I realized that the man I was with was going to be with me for the rest of my life. And, you know, I remember the day where he said, this this disease doesn't scare me. And then we get married and we have two beautiful children. And one of the reasons I was even thinking about kids is because my MS doctor said, Janice, did you, do you know that when a woman um, is pregnant, it's really miraculous because the body doesn't attack itself anymore. So it was like, I don't know. It was a, a light that came in such a dark time. And, and sometimes I, when I, when I'm in sort of a, a, a different place, I think to myself, if I wasn't diagnosed with MS, would I have had these two beautiful boys? You know, so I'm so grateful. And so your article really touched me because I feel sort of the same thing happened to you. You really, you really blossomed. Yeah, no, that's that's 100% true. And I think of it this way, Janice. Uh, it's kind of like you, you take kids bowling and they put the bumpers up on the gutters so they don't get in the gutter. I feel like like the you know, I had MS put the bumpers up on my life so I can just stay in the lane, right? Stay where I need to be focused so I can get off the tangents and get mixed up with crazy wastes of time, energy, and focus on my health, my relationships, my and my family and, and being focused on what will matter. So that's where you know, that's where I'm today, right? I think if I can so I have this crazy career in, in DC, very much a swamp creature and doing all these uh fun things and communications in Congress, on the Hill, and in the White House. But um, I feel like all this experience of how this place works, combined with my experience as a patient, you know, seeing in a hospital bed and going through this, uh, how can I mesh those things, two things up? And so the, the historical reference, I talk about how that DMT gives me this opening up to a life. And because if I didn't have that, that option B, and then ultimately uh, later in the in 2015, it starts acting up again. I go on a new drug called Tysabri, and uh, and the doctor was really bullish on how that would work, and it did. Yes. It was great, but um, it it um, did about five percent of people. Your body develops uh, a sneaky way around it, and so it develops antibodies to it. It shuts it down. Mm. And so almost everyone, my body said. Let's let's you know, unlock that and go in the back door, and that's what happened. So in 2018, uh, I was exposed and to you know no no protection, and my, and it happened again. So it really wobbled me. But again, after having a life of just amazing life, being able to move to the Midwest, I lived in Minnesota, and then ultimately coming back and working in a White House, uh, it was uh, I got to do all these great things. Now. That DMT failed, and luckily another one of it was ill, and so I went on that, Ocrevus, and so I've been on that for uh, a couple, three years. You, and- you and I are on the same track. I did the same thing. I was on uh, Copaxone and then Tysabri, and now uh-huh. I am on Ocrevus. So you and I are uh-huh. like, are um, you know, we're therapy buddies. Great, <laughs> Janice. That's awesome, and and I feel so. You know what? Our stories are very similar to people. Have other diseases, right? People have 
uh, cancers that have that don't react respond to one treatment and there's another one in the pipeline that they can use so with those and thank god we have these things that science these guys who white wear white lab coats yeah. not red jerseys not blue jerseys yes they're just out there trying to do the right thing develop the science and create cures and that that is what i'm so thankful for and so and there are people out there who don't have disease yet or themselves are struggling like we were at times with handling their own survival so uh, i don't want to see that pipeline shot which is what i saw this last year i was really troubled by uh by what was done in by policymakers uh in the ira bill don't go anywhere we'll have more of the janice dean podcast right after this tell me about the ira bill well we all have heard a lot you know named IRA bill because ironically here uh you know this was in control inflation which is not really on un- under control but in the bill they also have provisions in there they think they can control drug prices but just like inflation government doesn't have very much they can really do things to screw it up a lot so unfortunately in the IRA bill there are provisions that basically enact price controls over how drugs can be developed and so that that disturbs an amazing ecosystem that was formulated over the last 40 years that developed allowed us to have all these amazing new drugs and treatments for all kinds of diseases and so it really screws up that ecosystem that are going to have all kinds of unintended consequences consequences and janice the thing that look we can all nerd out here and talk about i'm not an expert i'm not oh, a scientist I'm not a doctor, but I do know this. In 1984, a Democrat named Harry Waxman uh, and a Republican named Senator Warren Hatch came together. They put their ideas together and created a bill with bipartisan support that created a whole uh, ecosystem in, in, in our biopharma industry world that allowed medicine to, to, to develop. So we went from back then, we were behind Europe. The Germans, the French, yeah, are beating us in development of, of 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 cures, right? So with this bill, they allowed it developed it changed patent law, allowed companies to take a chance, take a risk on developing really uh, all kinds of custom drugs and uh, and also develop generic drugs that reduce the price of drugs across the board. And with that bill, the wax had the Waxman Hatch Bill uh, became law of the land. The bipartisan bill comes to law of the land, and several others. And after it, like the Orphan Drug Act, these things are cultivated through a process that developed with uh, bipartisan strength and work and lots of testimony. And then well, the result is unambiguous, right? We became uh, the world's leader developing these drugs. I had four levers to pull in my disease, and there are more now, even. And so the same goes true with cancers. Look at Jimmy Carter, right? He has had a really rare, awful brain cancer, right? But he had a drug, Keytruda, that was developed. Uh, I don't think it was officially put, put on the market for his type of drug, but because the, the drug company could test it against his type of cancer, it was available, available to him and it saved his life, right? Yeah. So what's happening now is people are saying, yeah, well, I mean, on the Hill, people are saying, oh, well, it's great. America, these big companies built these drugs, good for them, they're making money, but now 
it's time we pulled the ladder behind us. And we we're all benefiting from these drugs, but let's let's mess with that and do the most uncontrollable thing, which is screw it up. Like which is first we do no harm, which what the Hippocratic Oath says in Congress, they managed to say, look, here's a golden goose. You know, let's screw it up. And uh, that's what I feel they're doing here. And so how do I know that? Again, I don't care if you're red or blue. Uh, you have a bipartisan uh, consensus over the last 40 year, years that produces amazing drugs, amazing therapies to save millions of lives, make lives longer. And yet we have a partisan prison bill passed in the middle of the night uh, while there's no one around. They're all locked down. No hearings. No one's testimony. Not hearing from patients, certainly. certainly. And uh, and it passes Parson Bill signed into law by the Parson President. And and they don't think that that's going to screw up the this beautiful system we have. I don't think so. So I think we need to work hard to stand up and say, look, these drugs are producing real having real impacts. On the lives, and yet people who are not even born yet, people who don't even know they have disease, and so I think someone needs to stand up and say, "Look, someone needs to think about who's downstream of all this stuff." And it's not just the people who can cut big pack checks, who have lobbyists, but people who just uh, are patients, people who were in a hospital bed, who saw, who know, who know that it's not look. Look, I'm for, I know that drug prices and healthcare in general is, prices are too high. Yep. But to say that we need to squeeze on what is amazing, a small percentage of what those costs increase yes. are about is insane. Yep. Say, look, let's kill this, let's throw this baby out and with the backwater. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, earlier this year, I was refused my medication. The the drug company, I still don't quite know why. I was on the phone for many hours with the specialty pharmacy asking why all of a sudden they weren't going to pay for my drug. And, um, you know, I I had to have my employer intervene. And I have the Ocrevus infusion coming up in a couple months, and I'm going to have to go through that again, John. And so I, along with you, want this to be the greatest country when it comes to our doctors and our treatments. But if this keeps happening, people are not going to get their medicine and they're not going to get better and we're not going to be able to come up with new therapies. So just know that you have my support and whatever you want to do, I'm going to help make that happen. Well, thank you very much. I, you know, it, I think it, it means a lot to me. There's the journey you had with that same thing, it strikes me as crazy bureaucracy of the insurance companies. That's insane. I agree that there are some drugs that don't man make don't don't warrant what they deliver. So we can, you know, instead of talking about this, having a adult conversation with about what what needs to be fixed in the system, about where the cost costs are really coming from, is what needs to happen. But instead, we have this talking point uh, about that we need. That, that some people need for re-election last year is passed and without any thought. This, like we have a provable uh, metric, we have a provable system that works, clinically works. Ocrevus works for you, Janice, and the idea that someone will take that away from you is insane, mm. is insane. You, you know, it's, it's crazy. So I'm trying to harvest stories of people and learn uh, and speak for the folks 
who are who have these same stories, who have been experienced these saving grace by having their life extended, their niece, their nephew, their uncle, their mom, their dad, themselves, on my website, uh, uh, survivorsforsolutions.org. I have trouble with the SM. That's okay. Survivorsforsolutions.org. Even I have problems saying it. Survivorsforsolutions.org. I'll make sure um, that everyone has that. And, and John, truly, you are such an inspiration. Um, you know, the the title of the book that I wrote is called um, I Am the Storm, and it comes from that poem that says, you know, fate whispers to the warrior and says, you cannot withstand the storm. And the warrior whispers back and says, but I am the storm. And you are <laughs> you are somebody who who really, um, truly, uh, you know, personifies that. Um, well, I have calluses earned, right? So I want to use these calluses. To help, you know, the bunch of people, and so I know the website is is uh, or both of us. It's hard for us to say, but I'm on Twitter as letter C, letter Z, like C Z, just two letters. That's how old I am. I was on Twitter like user number seven. So um, you can find you can get to the website. If you're in a car, you don't have to write down that website. You just follow me on Twitter. I'm at at C Z, and uh, and I can't wait to read your book, Dan. I hope it does amazingly well. It should inspire. Billions. Well, listen, if I had known you earlier, you would have been a chapter, but to be continued because I, I really want to do good work with you, John. And, uh, you know, like Hemingway, Hemingway said, too, uh, we are strong at the broken places. Like you said, yeah. you have calluses. Uh, I really believe that you and I, um, you know, we've been through some challenges, but it only makes us stronger and it only makes us fight harder. Right. Exactly. If we can just weaponize these battles our own experiences. And that's what I want to do here is help people who are, you know, waiting for, uh, you know, for their kid to come out of St. Jude's because they're, they're, they're crying themselves to sleep because they don't know how to help their kid. Uh, and because these people can't read uh, HR 5673. And uh, but I can, right? I can help figure out how we can unwind this, what is going to disrupt the whole ecosystem cure uh, and, and do it in a way that makes sense for, Patients, not just one group, but the whole, all of us. God bless you, my friend. I'm so glad we met each other. And uh, to be continued, survivorsforsolutions.org. And you can also follow John. Are you on Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff? I know you're on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. Twitter. I, I can do the RAM. It's just too, too, uh, too crazy for me. Uh, so no, just on, on, on Twitter. Uh, three years uh, since 2007, actually. But uh, you can find me there as at CZ. That's easy. That's CZ. That's easy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you, my friend. God bless you. And uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much for your advocacy, your bravery, and uh, your, you know, your belief in America uh, that we can we can do better. Well, it's a great country. And I really, I, your audience is, is great. Uh, I want to hear their stories. I want to thank you for letting me share my story. I want to hear everyone's story. And uh, I'd love to hear your story too. So uh, and thank you very much, Jess. Thank you, my friend. God bless. Thank you, John, for spending time with me today. What an incredible inspiration you are. I feel so grateful to have met you. I'm excited to see you and I do terrific things in the future. John loves feedback and you can connect to him through social media. On Twitter, he's at CZ, and also through survivorsforsolutions.org.
Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.